0: From the Boston Globe, this is Rhode Island Report. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to the podcast where we bring you big conversations from our very small state. It's been a little over six months since Rhode Island got a new U.S. attorney. After some political drama, Zachary Cunha was appointed to the position in December. He joins us in the studio today to talk about the path that got him here, his priorities in office, and the tools he has to combat issues ranging from mass shootings to the opioid crisis. That's after this quick break. When you want to go beyond the headlines, let me recommend Rhode Island PBS Weekly. Welcome back. I'm here with Zachary Cunha, who became the U.S. Attorney for Rhode Island in December. Thank you for joining us today.
1: Thank you for having me, Ed.
0: Like everyone in the country, I'm sure you've been horrified by the school shooting in Texas and the racist shooting in Buffalo. What do those mass shootings tell you about America today, and what do you think can be done about it?
1: Well, first off, there's no doubt that what happened in Uvalde is unspeakably tragic. All of these incidents are unspeakably tragic, and you can't but feel for the families and the community that has to suffer with this kind of tragic, senseless loss. There are no words. Clearly, we have a recurring gun violence problem in our communities. And you know, from a law enforcement standpoint, I look at that as what are we doing with the tools that are available to us to try and address the flow of guns and elicit gun violence in our communities? That's not going to solve the entirety of the problem, but that's the part of the situation that's, for lack of a better term, within my purview, and then I'm going to address as best I can.
0: We're talking on Tuesday and later today, some of Rhode Island's top officials will be calling for new gun laws, new tools, including bans on assault-style weapons and high-capacity magazines. I know those are state laws they're they're going to be talking about today, not federal laws, but do you join them in calling for that legislation?
1: Well, unfortunately, it's not my place to call for political action. That's for our elected representatives, including federal laws. What I can tell you is we try to focus very hard on enforcing the laws that we have on the books. So, for example, restricting individuals who are either habitual drug users or felons from purchasing firearms or selling firearms. And we do those cases, and they're important cases because that's a way of disrupting the
0: supply. You've been Rhode Island's U.S. attorney for about half a year now. But this is the first time you've really introduced yourself to the state. So can you tell us a bit about what you did before
1: you became U.S. attorney? Sure. I've actually been with the Department of Justice as an assistant U.S. attorney for about 17 years before uh, I had the privilege of being selected and nominated and appointed. I joined the department back in 2005 as an AUSA in the Eastern District of New York. That's in Brooklyn. Um, I served there for a number of years, served in the District of Massachusetts, where I focused mostly on complex white collar and healthcare fraud. And going back before that, I began my career in the, the city of New York as an attorney for the city and assistant corporation counsel on September the 10th, 2001. So you started working just before
0: 9-11. Tell us about that experience.
1: That was, that was a hard day. It's, yes. uh, it's 20 years, but I still remember it like yesterday. As I said, I started my job on September the 10th, got sworn in. We had the usual orientation that goes with any new job. That was my first employment wow. out of law school. And we were told to report the next morning, 9-11, bright and early, for a class photograph with the mayor of the city of New York. At the time, it was Rudy Giuliani. And I was on my way into work running a little bit late, Taking the uh, the bus from Brooklyn, and got off the bus around Battery Park and started walking up Greenwich Street, which becomes Church Street, which is where our building was located, two doors down from the then location of the Trade Center. Wow. I got about halfway up that street and saw what looked to me like a ticker tape parade. There was something falling from the sky, little bits of paper. As I got closer. You could actually see some of these bits of paper falling to the ground, and it wasn't ticker tape, it was paper that had been blown out after the impact on the North Tower after that first plane had hit, which must have happened around the time I was coming out of the battery tunnel and getting off the bus. It was a surreal day. I I remember the sound of the sirens. I remember going into our building and being told to evacuate. That was around the time that the second plane hit the, the South Tower of the Trade Center. Oh, wow. Basically, I and a group of my colleagues wound up walking north for a good part of the day. They'd shut down the subways. No one really knew what was going on. It was a surreal day, and um, it never leaves you. It's been 20 years, and there's not a day I don't think about how that felt and what I saw. And that was your second day on the job? Second day on the job.
0: Your confirmation got caught up in some D.C. drama. Senator Tom Cotton an Arkansas, Republican, objected to the nomination of five U.S. attorney nominees, including you, because of a slight that happened eight months before. Can you explain what happened and what did you make of all that?
1: Well, you know, I can only comment on what was publicly reported. And, and like you, what I read in the paper was that there was an objection to the confirmation of several of us who are in the pipeline. And frankly I think that's happened with some other US attorney nominees since and the reality is that we are all subject to the vagaries of the political process. Thankfully at the end of the day I'm grateful not only for their initial support in in recommending me to the White House but our congressional delegation our senators, particularly Senator Whitehouse and and also Senator Durbin, who's the chair of the Judiciary Committee, actually went to the floor to push for the confirmation of the group that I was in. And they were ultimately successful. And on the afternoon of December 7th, suddenly with very little warning, I found myself being confirmed. Congratulations
0: on that. Tell us what your top priorities are as you begin your tenure.
1: Now, I'm reluctant to rank things because it makes some things seem more important than others, and all the work that we do is important. Obviously, public safety is priority one, and that plays out in a couple of different dimensions. First, gun violence and drug violence, which are very closely interrelated, fraud prosecutions are also, regrettably, a major concern given the scope of fraud. We've seen a huge uptick in COVID and pandemic related fraud. A major concern. Obviously, is the opioid epidemic in New England. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that is a persistent problem. After a dip during COVID, the numbers are going up again. Huh. And one of the things that concerns me is, first of all, the fact that fentanyl is ubiquitous in everything now in pills that are sold on the street, in heroin, in cocaine, it's everywhere. And the risk of that, particularly for folks who are not habitually taking fentanyl. Is extreme because a small amount of it can just result in prompt respiratory failure. And the next thing you know, unless somebody's there with Narcan, that can be the end. And you see that happen with college kids or other folks who are taking what they think are Adderall pills or some other prescription medication. And it turns out it's A, fake, and B, contaminated with fentanyl. So that's a major concern. Yeah,
0: because we had a record number of accidental overdose deaths in Rhode Island last year, and and the numbers, uh, they they are going up again in 2022. They are. Rhode Island last year, first state to pass law creating harm reduction centers where people could go and use drugs with medical supervision. I don't think there's been any of those centers open yet, but with federal law and the state law conflicting, What's your role in that? What what are you gonna do
1: when those open? As you say, there haven't been any that open yet. Right. What I can tell you is that the Department of Justice on a national level, and the Department has said this, is looking at this issue nationally, because we're not the only place where this has cropped up, and is talking about what if any appropriate guardrails ought to be put in place were such a center or facility to open. There's some ongoing litigation about this issue elsewhere in the country, and so there are limits on what I can say other than if there were an actual proposal that were to come to fruition and open, we would look at the facts and circumstances of that individual center. What I can say at at more of a remove is that This problem, like many problems, is not purely a law enforcement issue. It's important that we vigorously and aggressively prosecute large-scale drug trafficking, and we do that, and we're going to continue to do that. But it's also important that we look to other avenues for providing support for recovery and the ability of people to overcome addiction and and move on with their lives. I mean a good example of that is just last week I was one of the things I'm most proud of in the 6 months that I've been in this job is we announced a resolution with the Wyatt Detention Facility up in Central Falls under which they're going to provide medication assisted treatment to individuals who are already prescribed whether it's bu- buprenorphine or methadone to deal with opioid recovery when those individuals come into Wyatt's custody, to make sure that those folks have the best shot possible at, at recovering and moving on with their life.
0: Yeah, and just to explain that, what was happening before? It sounded like detainees at Wyatt were not being given
1: those medications if they wanted them. That's what our investigation found, and that's why we we stepped in and took action, and the facility, to its credit, ultimately agreed to a remedy where they're going to provide that.
0: And and with Rhode Island, just last week, uh, the governor signed the bill to legalize recreational marijuana. Does that require any action on your part? Do you have any thoughts on that?
1: I don't have any thoughts on the legislative action. What I can tell you is it's been a long time, certainly long before my tenure as United States attorney, since our office prosecuted marijuana possession of any stripe at all. By and large, that's a a state law enforcement issue as opposed to a federal one. And really, that's a question of... If I'm going to allocate my resources as between fentanyl that is killing people on a daily basis and low-level marijuana prosecutions that we haven't done in a decade and a half, I know where I'm going to put my people.
0: I saw you just launched a new Office of Environmental Justice. What does that work involve, and how did that come about?
1: I'm glad you mentioned that. That's part of a national initiative. The attorney general announced an increased focus on environmental justice, and so in response to that, I designated a particular assistant U.S. attorney who has a lot of experience in both affirmative civil matters and civil rights matters to spearhead that effort. This is really about focusing on neighborhoods and communities, and particularly neighborhoods and communities that have been historically marginalized or underserved. So instead of thinking about environmental enforcement just in terms of let's clean up the former site of a factory, this is thinking about is there a neighborhood that is particularly at risk for lead exposure or for industrial contamination connected to construction or some other factor. And part of it is just making sure that the public knows that our doors are open, that there's somebody they can reach out to, and if they have a concern, they can bring it to our attention, and we can look at ways that we can address that.
0: I know there's been a lot of attention paid to the environmental impact on the neighborhoods around Allens Avenue and the Port of Providence. Will, will your office have any role in addressing those issues?
1: Well, it depends, obviously, on the individual case and the yeah. individual situation, but those kinds of issues, when you have industrial activity and there's the potential for either contamination of the water, contamination of the air, those are absolutely cases that we work with our EPA partners to, to look at.
0: Governor McKee's office has confirmed that the Attorney General is partnering with your office on the investigation of a controversial education contract for up to $5.2 million given to the ILO group. Why are the federal authorities involved in that
1: matter? I'm not going to comment on media reports and anybody is free in any situation to comment on whether they've been interviewed or received process in an investigation. What I can say is it's very common for us in any kind of situation that involves public money or public decision making to. Look at a particular issue to conduct a review of the situation to determine if further investigative action or enforcement action, civil, criminal, or otherwise, is warranted. It's also very common, particularly around here, for us to partner with our state and local law enforcement counterparts with whom we have an excellent working relationship to look at a situation. And that's because at any level, we you know, given this state and its history, we feel it's important that the public have confidence in the decision making that, that goes on in connection with any project or award or, or significant political activity. We take a look at those things and ultimately if there's something there, we take action and if there isn't, we will publicly confirm what we found.
0: Can you tell us where that investigation stands now? I cannot. Speaking generally, you know, I've spoken over the years with your predecessors about public corruption in Rhode Island. How much of a priority will that be for you?
1: It's a perennial priority. Like I said, people need to have confidence in their government and that decisions are being made on the merits and not because somebody knows a guy. And the reality in Rhode Island is there's a regrettable history of that at all levels. And our office has a proud history of going after that kind of conduct. So that's always a priority wherever it arises.
0: Yeah. We're kind of known as the Noah guy state. Why do you think it continues to be a problem despite
1: successful prosecutions by the U.S. attorney's office? Well, my job is to make sure that it doesn't continue to be a problem. And we're vigilant and we're watchful with our state and federal law enforcement agency counterparts. And we do the best we can to look at those issues as they arise.
0: Did I hear the U.S. attorney's office is on the move? (laughs)
1: We are indeed on the move. In true Rhode Island fashion, we're not going far. We're moving across the street, but we're excited to be a new space for the first time in 25 years. All right. Zachary Cunha, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure.
0: Here are some more stories to check out this week in Rhode Island. With billions of dollars flying around thanks to the federal bipartisan infrastructure law, a group of Rhode Island's top CEOs is working to make sure the state gets its fair share. My colleague, Dan McGowan, has the details. My colleague, Alexa Gagas, has a Q&A with the founder of Poppy's Coquito, a new liquor brand in Rhode Island. And I have a story about top Rhode Island officials calling for new gun laws in the wake of the Texas school shooting. For these stories and more... Go to globe.com slash Rhode Island. That's globe.com slash Rhode Island. Rhode Island Report is a production of the Boston Globe. Today's episode was produced by Megan Hall, Carlos Munoz, and Amy Padula. Audio mixing and mastering by Marissa Ewing of Hemlock Creek Productions. Our music is from APM. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. See you next week.